In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, please follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to thank you for your questions, and I'm going to answer those in just a bit, but first let's recap Atlanta United's one-to-one draw with Inter-Miami on Sunday down in Fort Lauderdale. Joseph Martinez's first goal this season was offset by one from Lewis Morgan as the two teams played to a draw. Martinez's goal came in the ninth minute, Morgan's came in the 77th minute, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Atlanta United's offense, at least in the first half, looked much better uh, than any game, save maybe the first half of the first leg against Philadelphia in the Champions League. Manager Gabriel Heinzes said he felt they should have scored more than one goal on its eight shots in those first 45 minutes. But the team finished with just 14 shots, five on goal, to finish with just the one goal. It has now scored eight goals in its first eight games, and we're going to get into that in a little bit more. Atlanta United's defense, I thought, looked shaky throughout Um which goalkeeper Brad Guzan said was more a result of Atlanta United's mistakes. Miami could consider itself unlucky that it didn't score more. It had two calls for handballs against Atlanta United's defenders turned down. Both of those were because of just silly turnovers by Atlanta United. It had a penalty claim against Guzan turned down in the final seconds. Uh, Miami's offense also forced several last-ditch tackles by Atlanta United's defenders to prevent goal-scoring opportunities. Miami finished with 16 shots, including 14 inside the penalty box, putting six on goal, and it had just 38% of the possession. That's a sign of Atlanta United's defense just turning the ball over in horror, or not defense, but any everybody turning the ball over in just horrible spots. Um, the two handball calls, the second was a free kick from Alex DeJohn, and it looked to me like it, it was rolling by a teammate, though I guess it could have been the referee, and the teammate just didn't pick the ball up, and it went right to the Miami defender for the break. And that led to Lewis Morgan's goal. Santi Sosa had a horrible turnover. Uh, I'm still not sure what he was doing. He looked over his shoulder and saw a player, and then he barely touched the ball and allowed um, Higuain to get in. That was one of the handball claims. The other was George Bellow allowed um, Rodolfo Pizarro to just run right by him as he jogged to the ball. Bellow got back, but uh, the shot hit Bellow's arm, but no, no penalty call was there either. Heinze said that the team was affected by the temperature, 84 degrees at kickoff, and the short recovery time from Tuesday's game at Philadelphia. Both are true. Both aren't excuses. Those are legitimate reasons. However, Heinz has selected the same 11 that drew with Philadelphia when he could have changed it up for some fresh legs. And then the bench also included seven defenders, including goalkeeper Ben Lundgaard, as part of nine players which meant most of Atlanta United's field players were going to have to go 90 in the difficult conditions. 
And it, that was really curious to me. Um, y'all don't like it when I compare him with DeBoer, but that seemed like a DeBoer decision to me. Now, getting into some other stuff here, uh, if y'all don't read Matt Doyle on the MLS Soccer website, he does a fantastic breakdown of the league every Monday. And he has some access to some stats that us regular journalists don't get. And one of those is, according to Second Spectrum, which is a stats provider for Major League Soccer, of the 53 distinct teams, 26 last year and 27 this year, who've taken the field in the league in 2020 and 2021, Atlanta United is 32nd in off-ball attacking runs per 90 and 45th in the average max speed of those runs. My interpretation is you're not going to threaten a defense when you're jogging, and you're certainly not going to threaten a defense when you do make the runs and you're jogging. Atlanta United has got to be more decisive. Of course, you could flip that around and say, well, Miami had so little possession but got so many shots because Atlanta United's defenders were getting caught upfield in those jogs. But there's, there's something that's got to change because it's just not working. I've tried to sound this very faint alarm bell for y'all way back in the final preseason match against Birmingham. I pointed it out a couple of times, and, and y'all were getting mad at me on social media. But now you're starting to see what I was seeing and feeling way back then, that the offense is just not being as aggressive as it should be. There's a difference between having a lot of possession – and, you know, kind of jogging around and actually threatening a defense. It's, uh, it's two very, very different things. So now, let's get on to your questions. What's the backstory regarding the person that Joseph ran over to hug after scoring his goal? That was trainer Mario Cruz. Um, he worked with Joseph throughout his rehab from the knee injury he suffered on the last day of, Mar- of February in 2020 in the league opener against Nashville. Uh, the two have worked side-by-side side for a long time to get Joseph ready and back to this point. I thought it was a fantastic, uh, poignant uh, act by Joseph to go over there and hug Mario, who deserves a lot of the credit for his return. Mario has been with the team a long time. Um, you see him working with the guys uh, before the games, after the games. I've never actually had a conversation with him, but you don't stay with one professional team through several different managers unless you're very good at your job. So that's a credit to Mario. Next question, how much of what we are seeing is building toward a new manager's ultimate vision for the team, and how much of it is a lack of the right players to make the system work? If this is a personnel issue, how quickly can will Atlanta United move to make adjustments? I think it has the personnel to make the system work. Uh, You're not going to be able to go out and get everybody you want because it's a salary cap league. So it's on Heinze to figure out either how to make the players work within the system or how to tweak the system to make it fit the players best. Now, just talking about the offense a second ago and the indecisiveness, some of that is they're still learning what Heinze wants them to do. And it takes hours and hours of drilling and, and, and training to get that down. So at some point, you should see the players actually acting rather than reacting. Right now, I think you're seeing them react rather than act. So if we still see this you know, in three or four more games – then I think you know, you're right to be extremely worried. But right now, I think it's concerning, as I keep saying, but I don't think it's the final product. Heinze mentioned heat and fatigue were reasons that the team faded in the second half, yet he only used three subs. Why did he not utilize all five subs more often? I think part of that is because what's the point in changing out the center backs unless they're hurt? 
Um, I guess he could have taken out a midfielder and put in another center back to try to hold on to that 1-0 lead. He's done that one other time, but since then he has not done it, and I don't know why. Um, I think he's still a young manager. I think maybe part of it is just game management, and he's learning aspects of that. Um, or maybe he just liked how the team was playing. Another question. The fullback usage is puzzling. On the right, you have a true winger, but Lennon gets right up with him. On the left, there's a gulf of space as everyone, uh, Lopez, Marino, Barco, all move inside a bunch, but Bello doesn't exploit it for some reason. This is a really good question, and if you watch the games, you'll see Bello do that overlap time and time again, and he never gets the ball. I think most of those players that are on the left are cutting inside our right-footed, so they're looking up to their right to make that pass. They're not looking back to their left because their backs are now turned to Bellow. But he never gets the ball, so he's making the runs. It's up to his teammates to kind of help him and get that ball. And then Bellow's got to put in some crosses. Um, he's put in a few this year. I don't know if you would say you know they're as good as, as maybe Lennon's on the other side. Uh, I don't remember them being particularly bad, but... In my opinion, these teammates have got to help him out. Uh, what does Jackson Conway have to do to get minutes? So I see that Jackson Conway has replaced Eric Lopez as the player y'all think is going to be the difference maker based upon the number of times I get this question and the times I see it on Twitter. As I said with Eric Lopez, who you know has had a couple of decent gains but hasn't been a game changer, you got to give the young players time. You keep wanting them to come in and – the demand for it makes me think that the expectations are very high, and I don't think that's fair to the player. Um, Conway, right now, is not viewed as being better as Torres. I don't know if that's right or wrong by Gabriel Heinze. Uh Torres did have a shot on goal last night. He keeps get, putting himself in positions for shots. At some point, you've got to think they're going to fall. Um, I think y'all are being very unkind to Torres uh, for the most part, uh, but we'll see what happens. My thoughts on Eric Lopez so far this season, uh, you know, he's been okay. Uh, he hasn't been the game-breaking player that I think a lot of y'all keep wanting these young players like he and Huzetu when they come in uh, to play. Uh, Lopez last night had three shots, no goal, one chance created, completed 77.8% of his passes, one tackle, two fouls, one, two fouls conceded. That's a decent game, you know, for a young guy who, who doesn't have – he has less than 30 starts. Um, now it's, you know, if he plays again, it's building on that. Um, I think he's got a, a good future. You just got to keep building on it. What are we to make of the absence of one of our uh, designated players, Alan Franco? Is he still settling in? Walks is so good now. You know, it is very curious that the past two games, Alan Franco has not come on. Uh, some of y'all keep trying to say, well, let's play him at fullback. He's not a fullback. He's not fast enough to be a fullback. So you might as well just... Give up that pipe dream right now. Um, I think the Robinson and Walks partnership works very well, but the team was very, very shaky on set pieces yesterday with Robinson and Walks. That was an issue when Franco came in for that first start a few games ago. Heinz has said, yeah, we were shaky on set pieces. He gave a little bit more of the credit to Miami's height and uh, what it tried to do rather than uh, criticize his players. But that's something to definitely watch going forward because – Inter-Miami could have had a goal in the second minute yesterday. Leandro Gonzalez-Perez missed an open header. He missed another one on a free kick later in the first half, and he missed another one in the second half. Breck Shea had an opportunity, and he didn't score. So this is definitely something that Atlanta United has got to get cleaned up because when it's having trouble scoring, it cannot give up goals 
on set pieces. It's impossible to overcome. I'm going to give one last look here on the Twitters to see if we have any more questions. And not much width in the attack, not playing the ball over top into space for our guys to run onto. I'm guessing that's something Heinze just does not want them to do. I guess he considers it to be similar to a turnover. Um, for all the naysayers in the room that take every opportunity to drive Guzan into retirement, I never hear them equally give praise to why he's still in the game. He's absolutely responsible for saving Miles' butt on that gaff. He's referring to one where Miles whiffed on hitting a cross. It was very similar to the Chicago game earlier this year uh, when Walks and, and Robinson both misplayed a uh, cross on the ground. Um, yeah, you're right. Guzan did save the team a couple of times in the game last night. Where do I think Moreno fits into Heinz's vision for the tactics of the team? He was signed as a DP under the board tenure, and now he's trying to adjust to the Heinz system. I know a lot of people have different opinions on him, but to me, he looks slow and sloppy. Um, I don't think he's slow. I do agree with you that he's been a little bit sloppy. I think he's getting better uh, as he goes along. And yeah, Another thing y'all need to understand, if y'all think that DeBoer pointed his finger and said, I want Marcelino Moreno, that's not how that works within Atlanta United system. The front office signs the players. Sometimes they consult with the manager. They did with Heinz on a few of them. Sometimes they don't. And also, if you think DeBoer's the one that drove out players like Gressel and LGP and Tito, that is not what happened either. Um, I think I, I keep saying I think Moreno is going to get better. I think he's much better centrally than he is on the wing. Um, but Barco's not a winger, so then you've got a problem of where do you play both of them. We'll see what Heinze does. Uh, Jurgen Dom and Brooks Lennon seem to mesh better together. Each look for the other to make runs. Mulraney does not look for Lennon on outside runs and seems to slow things down when he gets the ball. Yeah, uh, Mulraney is one of several United players who have that problem of holding on to the ball too long. Moreno does it. Barco definitely does it. Um, you would think that it goes back to that stat Matt Doyle had about speed off runs. When your teammate gets the ball and you've made the run and you don't get the ball, you have to slow down. <clears throat> and then when you keep doing this and you keep not getting the ball, it's easy for the players just to say, well, there's no point in me hauling butt. I'm not going to get it. And then the jogging ensues. So one-touch passing would be a wonderful thing in Atlanta United system, I think. Um, all right, well, that is the end of the questions. Atlanta United will next play on Saturday, uh, hosting Montreal at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And this has been another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and please consider subscribing to my employer, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta United has five points from its first four games, it's seventh in the East. Montreal has five points for its first four games. It's eighth in the East. Montreal looks to be a much better team uh, than everyone predicted at the beginning of the season. So we'll see how that game plays out. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. And y'all take care. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. 
So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.